0: Fire and Orchestra, thank you so much. What a message in that song. He is all we need. Well, last week in Iowa, we began the process of selecting the next president of the United States. We all understand the importance of electing a leader. Sometimes we fail to recognize that the leaders we elect. Are to some degree a reflection of those who elect them. For instance, in the northern kingdom, known in the Bible as Israel, they had 19 kings, none of them were righteous. It was a reflection of the people. In Judah, the southern kingdom, they had 20 kings, five of them were righteous, a reflection of the people there was Jehoshaphat who led Judah to prayer Joash the Bible says of him Joash did right in the sight of the Lord all his days one of my favorite is Josiah who was eight years old when he became king but he was a young boy who had a heart for God And the Bible says, And he did right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of his father David, nor did he turn aside to the right or the left. A young man who walked in the ways of God and did not turn aside to the right or the left. There was Hezekiah who restored temple worship. And today we are going to look at Asa who was the great-great-grandson of King David. Leaders are important, but I am far more concerned with the electorate than I am the elected. The reason for that is this. It is my belief that a nation can overcome a bad leader, but a nation cannot overcome a bad electorate. So we look at Asa. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 14, beginning in verse number 1. So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And his son Asa became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for ten years during his days. And Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. For he removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him and he built fortified cities in Judah since the land was undisturbed and there was no one at war with him during those years because the Lord had given him rest for he said to Judah let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers gates and bars the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God we have sought him And he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Asa led Judah during a time of revival. My interest as I look at this story is what happened. How did they experience revival? How did they come out of an ungodly time to a godly time? How did they come from a place of unrighteousness to a place of righteousness because I believe that is what many of us want. And as I look at this passage of Scripture, the first thing I notice is that they address the sins of the past. Now look at verse number 3. For he removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram. The Bible says that he removed the foreign altars. He removed the altars of foreign origin. You see, what happened to Judah is that they had become intermixed. Their religion had been affected. As they became in touch with other people, involved with other people, the result was that they embraced the foreign gods that the other people worship. Matthew Henry wrote, Asa, as soon as he had power in his hands, made it his business to destroy all those idolatrous altars and images, they being a great temptation to a careless, unthinking people. You see, he understood that the altars that stood would be a constant temptation to the people. As long as those altars were there, then the people would be tempted to embrace the foreign gods that had almost destroyed them spiritually. So he removed the foreign altars. He removed the high places. Those were the altars that had been erected on the hillsides. He tore down the sacred pillars. Those were the stone statues to Baal. He cut down the ashram, which was a wooden image of a female deity, and he removed the incense altars. So when I look at Judah at this time, what was their sin? What had happened to them? How did they go from being the people of God to worshiping pagan gods? What happened? It was idolatry. The basic sin of Judah was idolatry. Now, when I look at America today, I would ask the question, what is our sin? And there are many, of course, but there are two primary that I would mention to you, the first being materialism. The truth is we worship things today. We have just suffered from, idol- from lottery fever, Everyone who had a dollar was buying a ticket because we wanted to be the next billionaire. Even though the odds were 1 to 300 million, I wanted to be a billionaire. And we all wait for Publishers Clearinghouse to drive up in our yards and announce to us that we are getting $5,000 a week for the rest of our lives. And then that can be passed on to someone else. We all want to be rich. I heard just recently that the average American has a credit card debt of $13,000. The average American owes on their credit card $13,000. You see, when we want something, we don't want to wait for it. We just want it. And so, the problem we have is that we worship things. So, as I look at America today, one of the great sins of our country is materialism, and the other is humanism. We have rejected God, and man then has become the center and the end of all things. And because we have rejected God and His Word, we have placed man at the center. And that has impacted the way we live our lives and the authorities that we establish for ourselves, okay? If man is the center, if humanism is the sin, then what is the authority in your life? Popular opinion. You see, if man is the center, if we worship man rather than God then the opinion of man means more to us than the word of God. That's the reason politicians are constantly taking polls. Because they want to know what? What the people think. What is the popular opinion? Because when man is at the center, the authority in our life is popular opinion. And that is reflected then in our morals. For instance, abortion, we don't look to the Word of God to see what the Word of God says. We look to popular opinion. So maybe that's a reason for some of my skepticism, some of my cynicism. When I watch debates, I listen to politicians and I hear them say that they are pro-life or that they are pro-choice, whatever they are. I'm wondering, is that a conviction that they hold? Or is that simply a position of convenience because it is a popular opinion? Our sexual views reflect popular opinion rather than God's word. I was watching Bill O'Reilly the other night. He was interviewing Senator Cruz. And he said to him, even if you get the nomination, you are not going to be able to change same-sex marriage because the people support it. It doesn't make any difference what the Word of God says. That, that is not a part of it. If man is at the center, if our God is man, we value his opinion more than we value God's Word. So popular opinion then is the motivation. Let me ask you the question. You're not, I don't expect you to respond. But how many of your values, how many of your positions are a reflection of, Of popular opinion rather than the Word of God when God is our object of worship then we're interested in what God says when man is our object of worship then we are interested in what man thinks so there is popular opinion Then there is pragmatism. Since we're not committed to God and His standards, then we make our decisions based on what is practical. Does that not make sense? If God is not our God, then I should make decisions based on what works, what is practical. Let's say, for instance, a girl gets pregnant. Maybe the pregnancy is unwanted, maybe it's inconvenient. Maybe it is embarrassing. What is the practical solution? I'm saying that if man then is the center, if man is the object, if a girl gets pregnant, she doesn't want the baby, what is the practical thing to do? Abort the baby. That is the practical thing to do. If you take this position, So then, we substitute what is personally and publicly convenient for what is essentially a moral issue of right or wrong. And then we practice evasion. The Lord has told us, if we're Christians, the Lord has told us that we are to be salt. We understand what that means. Salt is a preservative. So the point that the Lord is making is that we live in a corrupt world. And we are the preservative within that corrupt world. He said to us that we are to be light. The implication is that we live in a world that is spiritually dark. Thus we are to be light. Now folks, if you're a Christian, that's what the Lord said. He said that you and I are to be salt, a preservative... In a world that is corrupt, we are to be light in a world that is spiritually dark. That's our assignment. But what do we do? Well, we evade our responsibility. And how do we evade our responsibility? We say, well, who am I to tell anyone what is right or what is wrong? Who am I to tell anyone who to love? Who am I? Well, we're nobody, but we do have the Word of God. And the Bible speaks clearly on these things. Arnold Toynbee, because of our position, we live in a nation that is spiritually deteriorating. It is in a lot of other ways also. You know that. Uh, we are deteriorating econ- economically. We are deteriorating militarily. We are deteriorating in so many ways today. Arnold Toynbee... Said there have been 21 civilizations prior to ours. All 21 had five distinct stages birth, rapid growth and expansion, conservation of gain, moral decay, disintegration. The other civilizations went through those five steps and as I look at a country that I love with all my heart I see that we also are following those same five steps. So I look at Asa he was the leader during a time of revival and I asked the question what happened how did it come about and I noticed first of all that they dealt with the sins of the past that was the first things they did. Secondly He commanded obedience in the present. He addressed the sins of the past, commanded obedience in the present. What did he say? Verse number four. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers. Folks, it is not enough to stop doing wrong. It is necessary to start doing right. So Asa then called on Judah to what? Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 where Jehoshaphat was the king. Jehoshaphat saw his people surrounded by the enemy. And I look at the steps he went through as he recognized the enemy. What did he do? Well, first of all, he proclaimed a fast. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3, And Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. I want you to understand, his people were surrounded by the enemy. There was an imminent threat before them. And the first thing he did was to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast. In other words, seeking the Lord was the most important thing of all, including physical nourishment. He proclaimed a fast. He said, I want us to fast. He said, We have a serious issue here. And we need to seek the Lord and we need to fast. He assembled the people together. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 4. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. You see, They had a common enemy, therefore they needed to come together in a common purpose. I think that's what Franklin Graham is trying to do with Decision America, in which we are going to participate this next week. Calling the people of God together to say, we have an enemy. We have a serious situation before us. So we need to come together in a common purpose. And then he called them to pray. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 5 and 6, then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, and he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, art thou not God in the heavens? Folks, when we understand the gravity of the situation, it drives us to God. We call on God. When we really understand the gravity of a situation, we turn to God and we turn to God in faith. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Did you notice that? We are powerless before this great multitude that's coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. I love that. God, we don't know what to do. We are powerless, but our faith is in you. God, we're looking to you. He responded in faith, and then he acknowledged His dependence in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 13, and all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives and their children. I love that scene. Surrounded by the enemy, called the people to seek God called on them to pray and fast. Put faith in God. God, we're looking to you. And there I see the husbands and the wives, the men and the women and the children all standing before God. And God, we're dependent on you. Well, folks, that's where we better get. God, we are dependent on you. Lord, we have faith in you. So he said, seek the Lord. And observe the law. Verse number 4 continues. Seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. You see, here's the fact. If we return to the Lord, we return to His word. So what is the purpose of the law? We're not saved by it. So why is it important? He said, I want you to seek the Lord and keep the commands. Okay? So why is it important? We're not saved by the law. So why then is the law important? It exposes our sin. The law sets a standard. The Ten Commandments, that's a standard set by the law. We, we have speed limits. That is the standard. Okay? So the law then sets the standard. We fail to measure up to the standard... We don't keep the commandments. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We exceed the speed limit. So the law sets a standard. We don't measure up to the standard. And the law condemns us for our failure. That's what the law does. It never congratulates us for doing right. It only condemns us for failure. So... The law is important because it exposes our sin. It sets a standard. We don't measure up. It condemns us, and that drives us then to Christ for his grace. That's what Paul said in Galatians 3.24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. That's what the law does. The law is important because it exposes our sin. So he commanded obedience in the present. And then God provided rest for the future. Look at verse 6. And he built fortified cities in Judah, since the land was undisturbed, and there was no one at war with him during those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Asa's plan led to victory for Judah. There was peace, there was rest. That's what we want, isn't it? We want peace. That's the reason we've signed so many peace treaties, because we would like to have peace. We want peace. That is the desire of man. But ladies and gentlemen, peace only comes from God. And so it says there in verse number 6, because of this, what do we do? We seek the Lord. What was the result of it? He said the land was undisturbed. So as a result of their turning to God, as a result of their seeking peace, Seeking God, the Bible says there was peace, there was prosperity. Look at verse number 7. For he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. They were threatened by an enemy, but the Bible says the land is still ours. The land is still ours. Folks, I believe that America as I have known it is threatened today. I believe the values that I have known are threatened today. I believe the Judeo-Christian ethic on which this country was built is threatened today. But I believe if we seek the Lord, the land is still ours. If we are willing to seek the Lord, then the land is still ours. There was peace. There was prosperity. There was protection. Look at verse 9. Now Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Marisha. There is all, listen, there is always an enemy in the wings. Always. There is always a threat in the wings, and you have to face the enemy. Look at verse number 10. So Asa went out to meet him and drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zarephath, At Marisha. The enemy can't be ignored. Folks, as much as we would like to, you can't ignore the enemy. David didn't didn't ignore Goliath, he faced the enemy. We have to face our enemies secularism, humanism. We have to be willing to face the enemy. And then there was victory in verse number 12 of chapter 15. And they entered into the covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. And the Lord gave them victory. There is a warning in chapter 15, verse 1. Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you. Look at this. It's underlined in my Bible. I'd suggest you underline it in yours. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. There is no nation or individual exempt from Satan's attacks. Elijah called down fire from heaven and then was attacked. Simon Peter celebrated the Lord's Supper and then denied the Lord. America was founded on the Word of God but it's under Satan's attack. How do we respond? He said, if you seek the Lord, you will find him. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. Psalm chapter 81, verses 11 and 12 says, But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me, so I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. In Proverbs chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof, so they shall eat of the fruit of their own way. If you seek the Lord, you will find him. If you forsake the Lord, you will be forsaken. That is the warning that he gave. So he says, Be strong. Chapter 15, verse number 7. But you be strong and do not lose courage, for there is reward for your work. In chapter 15 verses 11 and 12 he said be faithful. In chapter 15 verse number 13 he said be pure. In chapter 15 verses 14 to 15 he said be joyful. Matthew Henry wrote the times of renewing our covenant with God should be times of rejoicing and national reformation cannot but give general satisfaction to all that are good. It is an honor and happiness to be in the bonds of God. Let me conclude. We're seeking a president, but first we must seek the Lord. As I look at this, Asa led in a time of revival. For there to be revival, we must deal with the sins of the past We must commit to being obedient today and then God will give us rest for the future. Last Wednesday evening I had dinner with Senator Tim Scott, a man that I greatly admire and love because of his commitment to Christ. I said to him as we talked, When our forefathers founded this country, they put us on a path to pursue God, to godliness. For the last 50 to 60 years, we have been deviating very slightly from that path. In the past few years, we have made a radical turn away from God. So I said to him, Senator, As a voter, here is my question. Should I vote for someone who slows down the process? We're going in the wrong direction, but we go more slowly. Or should I vote for someone, I believe, who will change the direction? What he said to me, I consider to be profound he said none of them is going to make the change that you desire if the change comes that you want and that we need it will not come from the white house it will come from the church house It will not come from the president, it will come from the pulpit. We seek a president, but we better seek the Lord. If there is going to be a future for America, it is going to be when God's people humble themselves before him, and seek Him supremely. And it's my prayer, it will begin with you and with me. Our Father and God, we come to a time asking You to speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that we might see that the enemy is at the gate, that we might come together to seek You, and as individuals, we might seek you. Father, I pray for those who are lost that they would be saved. But Father, I pray for the church. I pray for your people that they might seek the Lord. Even today, I pray you will draw people. In Christ's name I ask. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand. Extend an invitation. Choir's going to sing. If you're here and not committed to Jesus Christ, I pray that you might today commit your life to him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. But I'm especially asking that as a believer, that you listen to God. Today, would you commit yourself to seek the Lord to seek God for your life. What does God want from your life? Commit to that. If you want to come and pray, you're certainly welcome to do so. I'm going to ask that we stand, they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.